Beautiful people. Happy my Saturday night. Are where are we? We are talking about recovery dharma, and we've done kind of an introduction. And last night we started working on the first noble truth, which is there is suffering. And it talked about addiction being suffering and talked about all the voices, things that said in our head. Um, How many times have we, you know, woken up hating ourselves to go back and do it? How many times have we tried X, Y, Z, you know, therapy, cleanses, whatever, and still end up, you know, doing the same things over and over again? So, The part of the first noble truth that we did not get to is trauma and attachment and attachment injury. So we're going to talk a little about that and then I'm going to put the questions out there as related to recovery dharma. So if you want to grab a pen for when we get to that part, maybe, Um, or if you want to just answer in your head or if you want to just listen, whatever floats your boat. So trauma and attachment injury, traumas defined in this book or is often described as psychological damage that occurs after living through an extremely frightening or distressing event or situation. It's caused by an overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds our ability to cope, which makes sense if we know that we're using our addictions to be coping mechanisms because we can't cope with the trauma. While trauma frequently comes from life-threatening events, any situation that leaves one feeling emotionally or physically in danger can be traumatic. So it doesn't have to be... I think people sometimes get caught up in in comparing. Like if someone was sexually abused, maybe the person who was verbally abused thinks that their trauma wasn't as important as the person who was sexually abused as a child's was. And what this is saying is, well, what I'm saying is don't compare, but this is also saying it's how the perception of the person and how they're feeling. So no one could tell you if your events were traumatic or not. It has to do with how you're feeling emotionally and physically. And if you feel like you're in danger now, attachment injury is just as harmful as trauma. And the way that's described is an emotional wound to a core relationship with a caregiver, often caused by abuse, neglect, or inconsistency of care in early childhood. So it sounds like whoever's supposed to be taking care of you isn't taking care of you. And that both attachment injury and trauma can impact, you know, our recovery and meditation practice in different ways, which would make sense. It's going to show up different for different people. According to the book, studies show that a majority of people who struggle with addiction have experienced trauma at some point in their lives. I personally believe it's everybody, whether they know it or not, Um, or, or maybe It could be this attachment injury instead, which still sounds like trauma to me. 
The same system that serves us to keep us safe from harm is the same one that fuels the mechanisms of aversion and craving the perpetuate, perpetuate suffering. So isn't that interesting? The mechanisms, I think that this is the way I'm understanding this, is the same stuff that is supposed to protect us, the same maybe chemicals or feelings or actions or thinking that is supposed to protect us from trauma is the same stuff that kind of helps us create urges and cravings and makes us want to go gamble. It, it has to do with how our body um, physi physiologically and physically reacts to all these different things. Now, that the reason I guess I believe in that so much is because that's what my experience has led me to be before reading this book. Like that's what my journey has taken me is, okay, if I went backwards and I fixed some of the trauma and the things that maybe I was trying to hide or bury or not deal with, right, smushed down in my, my bucket, now that I've dealt with that and my bucket's empty, the urges don't go, you know, I don't have urges, as a, as a general rule, I have thoughts. Don't get me wrong. There's still times I thought I have thoughts where it, it jumps in and I have to, you know, kind of coach my brain and be like, all right, like, listen, you know better. I get why you're thinking that you're bored, tired, frustrated, whatever it is that were old ways of triggers that the thoughts show up, but it's not like I'm compelled to do it. Trauma and attachment issues can lead to Fear, anger, anxiety, and loneliness. At a deeper level, though, it makes it hard for us to cope in general, to form healthy and safe relationships, to, to develop an identity in the world, or to defend ourselves. And again, no two of us are going to do this, you know, handle this the same way. And... It sounds like a piece of, of this practice is to treat this instead of, you know, like having judgment about it, is to treat it with compassion and kindness so that it can start healing and we can start being on the path of recovery. So that's kind of the the snapshot of a few pages for you guys in, in my interpretation of it. So here's some of the questions for the inquiry of the first noble truth. Well, actually, I'll read them all to you. I may get chatty about them, but that wouldn't surprise you, I'm sure, if you've been here before. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm sure you're going to think that some of this, if you're familiar with the step work, you're going to see some correlation here because that was my first impression when I read it. So, begin by making a list of the behaviors and actions associated with your addictions that you may consider harmful. Without exaggerating or minimizing, think about the things you have done that have caused harm to yourself and others. So, when you're doing this, obviously, you need to be honest with yourself. And you don't have to necessarily do anything with this other than, you know, what are some of these behaviors and actions Aside from my marriage, which obviously I did harm by, you know, taking the household money, 
lying, manipulating Dave to get to go, um, all the things that went with that. I felt that in general, I, I was doing the harm to myself more than anybody else. The lying, the lying especially, um, the hiding, there's, there's definitely their share of behaviors. Um, the next part is for each behavior listed, write how you have suffered because of that behavior and write how others have suffered because of that behavior. List any other costs or negative consequences you can think of, such as finance, finances, health, relationships, sexual relations, or missed opportunities. So when I read this the first time, um, I, I did not write a list yet. I'm just kind of, this is just kind of experimental overview learning right now for me. But if I was to write a list and think about how I impacted the finances, I think, I think that's the easiest one. Uh, the health, the health, how I impacted mine and others. So the story that res like shows up in my mind with the health, not even just mine of sitting there chain smoking, not drinking water, not drinking, moving, you know, the damage I probably did to my bladder from sitting there and, and, you know, refusing to get up to go to the bathroom until my machine was done. Um, but with health, there was nights that we'd be at the casino and my mother's a diabetic and I wouldn't want to stop to let her go get food, you know, and, and she'd want to eat together. So in addition to my health, I was putting her health at risk as well as when I was driving home being just that freaking tired and I probably shouldn't have been behind the wheel if we were up so, you know, so long. With relationships and missed opportunities, I think that missing out on, I think I've shared with you that on the holidays, I would always, whoop, you could tell it's it's nighttime recording. Here I am yawning. I was always focused on getting to bet on the on the holidays. So I would hurry them up and go to the casino those nights. They were open 24-7. So missed opportunities could be the family time, the relationships, the connection, all the things that come with, you know, spending the holidays with your family. And not just the holidays. Anytime that I was choosing gambling over people in my life that I loved and, and should have valued more in that relation is a missed opportunity. Never mind the missed opportunities we don't even really know we have. Like I talk about travel all the time. I wouldn't be traveling if I was still gambling. And those, wherever I could have went, were missed opportunities. My family went on an Alaskan cruise years ago and I was still gambling so I couldn't afford it, but I could afford to gamble. So that was definitely a missed opportunity. Did you notice any patterns when writing this out? What are they? What are the ways you might avoid or reduce suffering for yourself or others if you change these patterns? So those are some pretty good questions. So you'll definitely, you know, have to have, you know, really look at this and answer these questions to pick up on any patterns. Mine would definitely be lying and not just to myself. 
But to others, that would definitely be a constant pattern in, in my self-centeredness. And how, what are the ways you might avoid or reduce suffering for yourself and others if you change those patterns? So I could show up, I could be present, I could, you know, show love. I could participate in activities if I'm, I'm physically there and mentally there. So I can stop the suffering being distant. If I, you know, fed my mother, I could stop her suffering and her, her blood sugar. How have your addictive behaviors been a response to trauma and pain? What are some ways you can respond to trauma and pain that nurture healing rather than avoiding? That's essentially my whole story, guys. I, I, I believe I gambled to not be a, a, a drunk. Uh, I believe that a lot of that was came from whatever I felt in the lack of worth area as far as, you know, Bob leaving and stuff. It feels so cliche to go back to childhood. Uh, and then what I experienced through my teen years, all the all the loss and death and just people disappearing out of our lives was trauma and pain for me and never really addressing all of that. I didn't even know that I needed to until, you know, this last year. Ooh, year and a half. I apologize for my yawns. So this is going to be different for everybody. What are some ways you can respond to trauma and pain that that nurture healing rather than avoiding? So I think talking about it for me has worked. Opening up, like, it can't haunt me if I'm talking about it. Even, even right now as I evolve through the end, like the reopening of of that, not that like in a relationship, but having any dialogue around that relationship that I had abandoned essentially, that was what worked for me to handle the pain and trauma of the relationship at the time was to not speak for all, you know, all this time. And now processing it alongside of him and having the conversations, the difficult conversations, being open and honest, taking my lumps, you know, like I'm sure based on what he told me, he was not happy. I was talking, you know, like, I don't want to say he wasn't happy, but I was very, I'm very one-sided because it's, it's where I can be one-sided. You're getting my side of the story. Every time you tune in to listen, it's my side of the story, whatever that story may be, how I'm feeling that day, my interpretation of this book, my interpretation of what was happening with him and I this past week. So it, it's my story tell and nobody has to agree with it it's it's mine um but i'm not looking to be hurtful at all so going through the process and picking up the phone and actually talking through some of that stuff has been one of the ways that i've dealt with getting over all the bad stuff that happened last year so that's how it works for me I don't want to dig too deep. Tomorrow we are going to go into the second noble truth, the cause of suffering. So that should be interesting. So we'll chat about that tomorrow. 
I before I go, I do want to give a shout out to my my GA peeps and my center for problem gambling. I was really surprised. I went to that picnic today and uh, Chuck did a fabulous job setting it up. You guys met Chuck. He was the coordinator in the state park where we normally have it. Because of COVID, we couldn't have it. So we were actually in the back of a church's parking lot today. But the turnout was nice. There had to be 20, 25 people. The sun was shining. And we thanked Oscar for that. The food was good. The company was good. The meeting was good. It was it was just a really nice day. And uh, even everybody from the center that could come, including the director, you know, Bill was there and... Brenda and Sherry. So Sherry's a recovery coach and Brenda's a counselor. I was really, Brenda's my counselor as well as, I mean, she helps other people, but I was super excited. I was actually like a little weird. She showed up in the middle of the GA meeting and I was like, are you lost? Is what I kept thinking in my head. I didn't realize they were going to be there. So that was a nice treat. So it was a good turnout and it was nice to be connected to a GA meeting and it was it was funny because the topic was what has GA given to you or helped how has it helped you? Oh my goodness, pardon me. And my share was something along the lines of, you know, GA was very foundational, is very foundational in my recovery. If I didn't go through it and didn't understand it, wasn't open to the principles and everything involved in it, I definitely would not be who I am today. Never mind all the people that I met. So whenever I go to a GA meeting, it's like going home. And that was essentially how I described it. And I'm grateful for everything that GA has given me. I've learned so much and I know I have, you know, forever friends. I'm still in touch with quite a few of of the Kansas GA members, even though I've been back here for a few years. And I go back to meetings every time I go back to town. And, um... It's important to stay connected. It's it's community. Now, you know, there's different dynamics in every group, of course. But if everybody does their best to practice principles above personalities and stick to the book, you know, the flow of GA is pretty good. So it's all about, you know, how you show up and what you can control. That really makes the difference. You know, they, they say take what you what you need and leave the rest. And Somebody made a point today, and I thought it was very good. So that that is something that they say in Gamblers Anonymous is take what you need and leave the rest. But he said, well, I don't know that I should leave the rest because I never know when I'm going to need it. And I thought that that was just a beautiful point. So I wanted to share that with you. It was it was a good day. We went roller skating. I fell down. I skinned my knee like a little girl. And even that was okay. And oh yeah, it's on video, so you'll see that someday. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was it was a beautiful morning. Everybody on the path was was uh, you know really in an upbeat kind of mood. I didn't expect so many people to be out at seven eight in the morning, but there was quite a crowd. And I also it says I burn less calories roller skating than walking. I don't think my Fitbit understands all the muscles it took to keep me standing. For all the time that I was standing and moving. Anyway, I had a great Saturday. I hope you did as well, beautiful people. I will see you back here in the morning.